0: You may be seated this morning. Give God a hand clap of praise. Turn with me today in your Bible, to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. My wife told me that I was a better preacher when I preached slow. So I'm going to try to preach real slow today. So if I preach longer, that's because I'm preaching slower. You can talk to her about that. I mean, you got to realize, it, a man that hadn't preached in his home church at seven months, he has a lot to say, right? So I'm going to do my best to condense this down in about 45 minutes. And um, if I'm all over the place this morning, we'll do our best at the end of this, tie it all back into Jesus Christ, okay? Amen. Because that's really what it's all about. <clears throat> so now. There is no condemnation. For those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit. Gives life. And has set you free. From the law of sin sin. And death. The law of Moses was unable to save us. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. It wasn't because of the weakness of the law. It was because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in the body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body God declared it into sin's control over us. By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus paid it all. When did the blood of Jesus stop being enough? When did I have to start helping Jesus keep me saved? You sound like once saved, always saved. That's ridiculous. I believe that once you find the person Jesus Christ, you don't go back. Those who live in the dark, live in the light do not desire the darkness. But let me tell you something about those who live in the light, they make mistakes. Do you hear me? I make mistakes. But does that change my status? Absolutely not. My kids make mistakes and they make me very angry. And for you parents who say, Oh, my kids don't make me angry, well, glory to God, you're righteouser than I am. <laughs> my kids make me mad. And I know righteousness is not a word. <laughs> but their status doesn't change. Hey, further, I'll my wife can make me real mad too. And I can make her real mad. But our status, I'm still married. Oh, God. <laughs> You're still married to the groom he's still coming for you i made a mistake there's guilt and shame and condemnation all around me you're still married to the one that's coming for you when he saved you he didn't save you to be perfect he just saved you from hell and from sin and living a lifestyle of bondage living as a slave to a sinful nature Jesus is enough. He don't need your help. He's enough. I tried helping him all the years and all I did was wear myself out, made my wife miserable, made my kids miserable, and made you miserable from the pulpit. <laughs> I know you went home sometimes after I preached and said, Dear God, I can't do anything that man wants me to do. <laughs> Thank God week his daddy's going to be up there. Now there is no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame to those who belong to Christ Jesus. You are righteous and that will not change. Your performance cannot change that. You did not become righteous because of your performance. So you cannot lose your righteousness because of your performance. You did not become righteous because of your performance. You became righteous because of the performance of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's how you received it. So you can't lose your righteousness because of your performance. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You were made right because of Jesus Christ. This makes for good preaching, doesn't it? Makes you happy, don't it? Makes me happy. Glory to God. It's good news. But the fact of the matter is, this emotion of condemnation, it's real. And it's real fun for me to stand up here and preach this today, but tomorrow morning when you wake up and all you see in the mirror is your past. And your past mistakes. That condemnation's real. Or you wake up in the middle of the night and you stump your toe and you say a cuss word. People cuss in the church. Did y'all know that? True story. And their kids cuss too. And the parents laugh at it. But anyways, when you mess up, that condemnation's real, isn't it? It comes and it attacks you and it attacks your mind. Listen, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, you are no longer a sinner. You may sin, but you're no longer a sinner. Just because I sin, it doesn't mean that I'm a sinner and I'm living a lifestyle of sin. Right? It means that I'm human and I messed up. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your present. I don't care how much you've messed up. Condemnation has no place in your life. Guilt and shame has no place in your life. God paid for it. It's a religious mentality and a religious spirit that comes to steal your joy in the joy of your salvation that constantly haunts you, making you think that you've got to work for something to get something from God. That's not God. You were a sinner when He saved you. He sent His Son to die for murderers and for rapists and child molesters that would never even accept Him. And He knew they would never accept Him. That's the God that we serve, that's the God of the universe that looked at his son and his son said why have you forsaken me and didn't immediately send legions of angels to save him but he said I see a generation that's dying in sin and they need the love of my son condemnation when you, when you, when you put condemnation up against the price of Jesus Christ condemnation and guilt and shame have no voice in your life Listen, I'm all for godly sorrow. But I can tell you right now that the grace of God far outweighs godly sorrow in the scriptures. Here's the thing about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow turns you to God, but condemnation turns you inward. And when you're turning inwards, you can't do anything about yourself. You can't do anything about your past, about your present, and about the things that you're struggling with. But godly sorrow turns you to God. And it is only the grace of God that can minister to your life. That is good preaching. (laughs) The Bible tells us that condemnation should have no part. You know the thing about condemnation? It's kind of weird. But we actually think that we deserve it. And when we mess up in that condemnation, that guilt and shame, we almost feel like that that's our punishment, right? And so what do we do? We embrace it. Because we think that that punishment is going to fix something inside of us. You're not punished for your sin. I'm glad you don't have tomatoes. (laughs) There are consequences for your sin. And there's a difference between punishment and consequences. I don't care how righteous you are. You touch a hot iron, it's going to burn you. There's consequences, Right. But for you to allow, we've allowed the enemy to come with condemnation, guilt, and shame because we've messed up because we've sinned, and he is punishing us. Right. Now, you sit out in the corner over there, and you think about what you did. Well, can I go to church? I don't know. But if you do go to church, you better sit there on the pew, and you better not worship God, and you better not listen to the preacher because you've been sinning all week long. That's ridiculous. That's mean. That God scares me. Right? That's not God. That's the punishment of guilt, condemnation, and shame. (laughs) There are consequences for the mistakes that we've made. But there's not punishment. Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sins. Do you hear me? I won't ever have to be punished for my mistakes again. I won't ever have to face guilt, condemnation, and shame because that I've messed up or because I slipped again. No, because Jesus Christ hung out on Calvary and stretched out his hands and he said, it is finished. Man. Woo. It's finished. This feeling of condemnation when it sets in causes us to feel and to believe that our status has changed. So what do we do? What do we do when we begin to feel that our status changed? Immediately we begin to have a works mentality. And we begin to strive. You know what I would do? If I was mean to my wife for a couple of days, about a week, just kind of on the edge, I'd go on a week fast. I'd go, I'd go seven days and starve myself. And then I got meaner. Because I wasn't eating. Get you some of that. I'm not preaching against fasting. fast, and I still fast. But the grace of God works a whole lot better than fasting does. Do you hear me? The love and the compassion of Jesus Christ works a whole lot better than my prayer life, than my fasting, than reading the Bible, than preaching good, or standing up and doing just something incredible for God. The grace and the love of God works a whole lot better than my works that I can offer to God. Glory, glory, glory. How long have we spent as Jesus followers trying to recover what we've had all along? How long have we spent as children of God trying to recover, trying to get back something that we've had all along? Jesus paid for it, amen? Let me tell you something. God's not looking for employees. He's looking for sons and daughters. When the prodigal came back home after living a sinful lifestyle and he said, hey, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work for the father. You know what the father said pretty much? The father said, listen, man. I don't want you as an employee. I want you as a son. We mess up and we sin and we go to God. And we're like, God, I'll do this and do that and do this. And you know what God's saying along? God's saying, I don't want you as an employee. I want you as a son. Then just come and rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. And allow him to set you free and free you. And set you on a course as a son and a daughter of almighty God. Listen. It wasn't the work Martha that God wanted, that Jesus wanted. He said, listen, Martha, that's great, that's wonderful, but I want you here at my feet like, like Mary. Right? God's not wanting us to strive for grace. He's wanting us to abide in grace. I don't work for grace. I abide in grace. My position in the kingdom and my position before the throne room of God is not paid for by me. It's not paid for by fasting. It's not paid for by preaching. It is paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. God, God just wants us to rest. Do you hear me? He just wants us to rest in the reign of Jesus Christ. What about sin? I hate it. I hate sin. And I, and, and I know that God one day is going to judge sin. I hate the fact that he's going to judge the person that's been doing the sin. But I'm glad that he's going to judge the sin. God hates sin. And God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't date sin. God's not a hippie. But let me tell you something about God. God, he hates sin, but he also forgives it. The gospel is not about the magnification of sin. It's about the magnification of a man dying to forgive sin. Woo! The gospel is about the magnification of a man that died to forgive it. What does God do about sin? He forgives it. Listen, sin no longer has any power over me. I'm not dictated by sin. I'm not scared of sin. God's not scared of sin. It doesn't control my life. The powers of sin have been broken over my life. Well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? When God came to cry, when God came to Christ, you were when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not with the physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So what do we do with sin? When you come to Jesus Christ and you've been baptized with him, it was buried. That sinful nature, that sinful man, that sinful mentality, it was crucified with Christ. And when you were baptized, it was buried in a watery grave somewhere. The sinful nature no longer has any power over your life. Then why do I sin? Because you're human. But that doesn't mean you're controlled by a sinful nature. We are forgiven. And our status cannot change Listen, when I found out about this message about grace and about what G, the fullness of Jesus Christ and I began to tap into it, do you think it made me want to go out and sin more? Absolutely not. There were some struggles I had in my life. I had an anger problem. Ask my wife the last time I got angry and she can't tell you. But up until seven months ago, she could tell you. I don't fast as much as I used to. I don't read the Bible as much as I used to. I don't pray all the hours that I used to. But I learned to walk with grace. I learned to walk with Him outside of just having a Bible in front of me all the time. I learned that worshiping was more than just being on your knees and just praying all the time, I learned that it was a lifestyle. And when I started walking in the grace of Jesus Christ, you know what? Anger went away all of a sudden. Because it was no longer my works, it was no longer me striving, but it was the grace of God. And I laid it down at the cross and I walked away in the finished work of the cross. Because at that point, anger was finished. I can't let go of pornography, it's finished. Your struggle is not against sin. Your struggle is with your identity. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. He is your father and sin is finished. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen. It is the mercy and the blessings of God that in the latter days that will draw them to the cross. It is not... Me, it is not condemnation. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's not me beating them over the head, telling them that there is. But it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I love John three sixteen, but I'm, I'm embracing John three and seventeen. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but through Him the world will be saved. What's more powerful, condemnation and guilt and shame, or Jesus Christ condemning sin? Because the word tells us in the text that Jesus Christ condemned sin. The woman caught in the very act of adultery. She's sinning, right? Does anyone have a reason to be condemned? They have the law right there to prove that she was wrong. She's caught. But everyone just walks away and Jesus says, listen. Where's your condemners at? Where's those that have come to persecute you? He said, Neither do I condemn you, not sin no more. What did he do? He sent her away in the grace. That's what he did. He said, Now go and sin no more. That's what God is telling the church. He's saying, Go and sin no more. He's sending you away in the grace of Jesus Christ. Barabbas, go free. Remember, Pastor talking about it? God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Now go and sin no more. God's not scared of our sin because of Jesus Christ. When I mess up, he doesn't all of a sudden come with guilt, condemnation, and shame and come to beat me up. He came to Zacchaeus and he never said anything about the sin. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. That means that he is the worst of the worst of the worst. He's the man that's living in a a house with the infinity pool because he stole the money from your grandmother to pay for it. (laughs) And he goes to Jesus and, and he climbs up in a tree and Jesus doesn't come and say, Zacchaeus, get down from here. Now you repent. Tell me all your sins and then I'll go to your house. No, not at all. He didn't beat him over the head with guilt, condemnation, and shame. He said, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm going to your house. The word actually says, I want to abide with you. He never said anything about Zacchaeus' sin. Because in the presence of God, I don't have to magnify my sin. It is absolutely revealed through his love and through his grace. And at that time, I want to make a change. In John chapter 15, Michael mentioned it this morning. In the first 10 verses there, there are 10 times that the word abide is a mentioned. 10 times the word abide is a mention. But one verse, just, just it's not even a full verse. He talks about the pruning process. So we with a religious mentality and guilt and condemnation and shame, what do we do? We, we look at verse 1. Oh, that's good. We look at verse 3 through 10. Oh, that's good. And then verse 2. We get in our prayer clause and we get on verse 2. And, oh, God! Prune me! Get this hanger out of me! Make me a better father! Don't let me cuss anymore! Don't let me do these sinful things more, Prune me, God! Prune me, God! Prune me! <laughs> Starving ourselves, beating our head against the wall, saying, prune me, God! And you know what God's saying? God saying why are you magnifying something over what over the grace of God Don't magnify a pruning process when God magnifies abiding If God wanted to magnify sin, then in in those 10 verses, he would have put pruning 10 times and abiding one time, but he wrote it for a purpose so the children of God would not live under guilt, condemnation, and shame, but you could go free and know that you are abiding in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And if there's sin in your life, then he'll prune it with the Holy Word. I don't worry about my sin. God takes care of it because I abide with him. Did you ever think I would stand in the pulpit and say some of this stuff? I'm convinced. I'm convinced that if the world sees Jesus Christ and his great love, that we will see an awakening. I'm convinced it's not by good preaching, it's not by good music, it's not by location, it's not by money, but it is absolutely by Jesus Christ. He took 12 men, 12 men, uneducated men, but they had been in the presence. They learned how to abide. They were not perfect. They were sinful men. They made mistakes. They turned their back. They left him, but they were persuaded that if I abide, I can turn the world upside down. And what they did, they took Jesus Christ and had saved a generation. Jesus saves generations. Jesus saves nations. Jesus delivers men and women. It is the power of the grace of Jesus Christ in Jesus alone. That's it. That settles it completely. If I didn't like preaching, I could stop right there. I think I may have something else to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is good stuff. I like this. I've been waiting seven months to say this. You can cancel the odd because you've already got the part. You ever watch that movie that where that, inner, that, that actor was terrible? And you're like, how in the world did they get that part? I could have done better than that. I'll tell you how they got that part. Because of who their daddy was. Their daddy owned the studio. I'll tell you how I got this part behind this pulpit. I'll tell you how you got your part in the grace and the love of God. You got it because of your daddy. You can cancel the audition. You don't have to try out anymore. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It don't matter how good you are. You've already been picked. Before you ever hit a note, before you ever said a prayer, he said, Jeremiah, from your mother's womb, before you ever did anything for me, I picked you. You mean I don't have to fill out a survey? I don't have to fill out a credit application? You mean I don't have to send in a resume? Absolutely not. It is finished. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What happened in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10? That if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What happened to that scripture? What, where did all the works get piled into that little scripture? That's just a, that just gives me a couple little things that I need to do. Oh, but preacher, there you go again. What about sin? What about sin? If I'm abiding, God will prune. If I'm abiding, he'll prune. I'm living this thing. I'm a better man now. I'm a better preacher now. I'm a better son. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. Because I've learned to abide in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen, God just, he just wants you to enjoy him. It's, listen, if, it, if you had to work for it, it wouldn't be Grace. We are seated in heavenly places because we, when we believe we were saved by grace and it wasn't by anything that we've achieved. When the Father revealed His power and His love to us, He saved us and forgave us of our sins. But it wasn't by our works and our righteous deeds. It was because of His mercy and His grace. For all of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God, but listen to this: Yet God, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God, with undeserving grace, has declared me righteous. It's awful funny that we that when that guilt and condemnation, that shame and that religious spirit comes, that we forget about that. the the, those verses i've been in romans chapter 3 to chapter 8 for the last six months and it has ruined me i will never be the same i am convinced that jesus christ paid it all listen he wants you to enjoy him when you mess up he wants you to go and enjoy him so you're telling me that when i sin when i mess up you want me to run straight to the father and enjoy him absolutely exactly what I want you to do. You mean I don't have to set out in guilty, condemnation and shame? No, you don't. No, absolutely not. What did Peter do? Peter says, hey, Jesus, if it's you bid me to come out of the, wa- out of the boat and walk on the water. Jesus says, okay, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. And then he sinks. He drowns. He's doubting. Jesus picks him up and puts him back in the boat. What do we like to do? We like to gather around Peter. So Jesus, give us a minute here. Hold on. He's embarrassed. Hold, just hold on, Jesus. Yeah, man, Peter, you really, you really messed up again. That sin of doubt that gets you every time. You, you were walking. You were doing really good. You were walking on the water, and then all of a sudden you messed up again. Huh. Peter, yeah, hold on, Jesus. He's all wet. Look at him. He's, he's soaking wet. We're about to go to church here, and he's soaking wet. He's, all, he's drenched with sin. Peter, you're going to dry out before you can go to God. Because if you go to God wet in that doubt, you're soaking wet. And that doubt comes before God, he, he's going to deny you. You better dry off first. Absolutely not. Jesus picks them up, puts them on the boat. He says, a a little pruning. Why do you still doubt? But then immediately when they hit the shore, he says, come on, Peter, let's go minister. Peter's still wet. He hadn't even dried off yet. He still got doubt all over him. Guilt, condemnation, and shame. But the picture that God paints here is as soon as you doubt and as soon as you sink, I don't care how good you're doing, if you sink, God's going to pick you up and you go right into enjoying him. There are people that have stayed home from church today because of guilt, condemnation and shame because they're wet because they sank this week and they said I can't come to church today cuz I'm wet and they'll see it. I don't care how wet you are. I don't care how many times you sunk. Grace covers sin. Grace covers mistakes. And the best thing you can do when you mess up is go running to God. The best thing you can do when you look at pornography is go running to God. The best thing you can do when you lust is go running to God. The best thing you can do when you lie is go running to God. And if I told you anything else that would be mean and hateful, that's not God. That is condemnation, that is guilt, and that is shame that has been beating you up and lying to you from the fullness of God. I'm telling you right now, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, but Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. He's the good shepherd and he laid down his life so that you could go free. He was punished for sin so that you didn't have to be punished for sin. He goes on, let me close here. He goes on to the last part there. In verse 3, and it says that Jesus condemns sin. Sin's been condemned. Sin's been dealt with. I don't deal with sin. The blood of Jesus Christ washes over me and deals with it. If you're fighting against sin, you're fighting the wrong battle. Do you hear me? If you are still... Struggling and fighting with sin. When I finally realize that I am struggling, I'm fighting with sin, and I don't have to, but Jesus Christ did it at the cross, and I realize it is the finished work of the cross, that's when I begin to be nice. That's when I begin to be free, because Jesus condemned sin. The verdict was served, and He said, You, son, will no longer be in condemnation because you belong to Jesus Christ but the sinful nature I am ripping it out of you and I am condemning it this very day and he who the son sets free is free indeed he who the son Jesus Christ sets free is free indeed and then he goes on to say that the law is fully fulfilled what does fully mean now don't compare this to eating because I know when you're and you're eating and you say you're full, you can still eat more. There's like a special place inside of you for dessert. But the actual meaning of full means that you actually can't put anything else into it. So he says that the law has been fully fulfilled. I couldn't pay for the law. So Jesus Christ, the son of God, came in a body like us sinners and died a criminal's death and he fulfilled the law absolutely Hebrews tells us that no one will ever have to come again and die. There will no longer ever have to be a high priest. We will no longer have to hide a high priest once a year going to the holies of holies and declare and offer a sacrifice for my sin because Jesus Christ, once and for all, fully fulfilled the law. What I could not do, he fully, 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 no ifs, and buts about it. It is finished. Fulfill the law. And I am free to live in grace. Amen. I'm going to stop I'm full so I'll just preach again some other time I, I want to lay hands on you this morning I want to release into you this morning what God's released into me I've been in church my whole life you know I used to say, in my, I'm done preaching right so I can just talk to you now I used to sit in my room when I was a kid, scared to death that I was going to go to hell. I'd pray, and when I say this, it's no exaggeration, I'd pray 50, 75, 100 times a day sometimes. If I had a sinful thought run through my mind, I was tormented constantly that I thought I was going to go to hell. Finally kind of grew out of that, but that, that seed still stayed there. Sold out to God at 17. Thought I had to make a deal with God and I lived my whole life like I had made a deal with him. That if I worked for him, he would annoy me. And if I read enough in my Bible and I prayed enough that he'd use me for signs and wonders and miracles. I was disciplined, but I was mean. Now I'm disciplined and nice. I finally got set free this year. I finally found out what real joy was about. You know what I was doing? I, was living, I had an identity crisis. I was working out of an orphan's mentality, trying to work my way into a son's position. all along I was like the older son and Jesus was looking at me the father was looking at me and said, this has all been yours all along I've never withheld the calf from you I never told you you couldn't wear my sandals my robe, my ring we get a lot of older sons in the church and God's telling you this morning he's not looking for an employee he's looking for a son and a daughter and he just wants you to rest. He wants you to abide. This ain't greasy grace. This is real. This is the gospel. This is, someone died for this message. Do you hear what? Someone died for the message that I'm preaching to you this morning. I believe that with all my heart. I don't want to sin more. I want to live more righteous than ever before. But I realize that it's not by my works. It's through the grace of God that I live righteous. And my rituals... They don't compare to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. There's freedom for us this morning. There's freedom for your heart this morning. Jesus paid it all. My son paid it all. There is no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame against you this morning. I don't look at you with eyes of anger. I'm not mad. I'm not disappointed. But I see you through the blood. I have come this morning with the gospel and the truth of my word. That set my children free. You are my sons and you are my daughters. And you are no longer under a slave mentality. You are no longer under the captivity of sin. You are no longer in the captivity of Past and of your mistakes, but he who the Son sets free, I'm declaring this morning that you are free indeed. I invite you this morning to receive freedom. I don't ask you this morning to work for it. I don't ask you to offer anything to me this morning. My son paid for it. He offered it. All you have to do is collect on it. I invite you to receive I invite you to open your heart and receive freedom this morning. I invite you to receive grace and love and joy. He's just inviting us this morning. Jennifer's going to sing something. Condemnation has no place. I understand godly sorrow. It turns you to God. A condemnation turns you to the inside. And you can't do anything about it. If you want free this morning, if you want free from guilt, condemnation, and shame, you want your mind to be free, you want your heart to be free, and you're ready to walk in the grace and the joy and the identity of a son and a daughter, and you're ready to receive the inheritance that Jesus paid for, and that God is more than willing to give you and wants to give you. He desires. He has this inner desire inside of him that says, I want to abide and delight in you and give you this this morning. If that's you and you want it, I want you to just come up here this morning. I want to pray with you. I want to release into you what God's released into me.